We're going to end up focusing on one verse today in John chapter 6. If you want to go there, it'll be on the screen. And my introductory thought is I'm going to give you a glimpse into one day in my life regarding the different expectations that I felt were on me or those different urges. So here was the day. On this day in my life, there was a staff person expectation that I would call Brian. So let me call Brian. On that day, I was facing the longest email that I've received so far this year, clarifying from an they were clarifying to me exactly what God's will was regarding the church's response to COVID. Isn't it good to have some people that know exactly what God's will is? And it was the, it was the longest email that I've received, I think, this year. Uh, my calendar was telling me I better get going because uh, my teaching outline was um, uh, hitting the deadline. So I had to get that, like I had to get that done. And in the midst of that, I got a call from my daughter, who is wonderful and uh, tends to be strong. But on this day, she was emotionally uh, a little distraught, and she was actually crying which in, that really kicked my dad stuff going like, I'm going to get dads like, okay, I got to fix that kind of a thing because some of the complexities in her life. And again, you've had days like this, maybe multiple days like this. I use that to introduce the idea of pressure to please people or, or expectations. Do you ever feel them? There, I just gave one to you, right? It was like expecting you to... I've, I, I, I sometimes feel expectations from people I don't even know. Here's a little portion of an email from Amanda from AT&T. We haven't been able to connect yet. I'm hoping you're getting my emails. It's just a sales call. That's probably computer generated. And yet this last week when I got it, I thought... I probably should respond to Amanda because, I mean, I don't want her to be out there. I don't want to leave her hanging out there. Like, do I care or not care? <laughs> Sometimes it gets expectations, then they're not even from human beings. We dog sat this week for a little dude named Tucker. He's really not that cute. He's kind of cute. Most of the time, Tucker gets in these moods where he wants whoever's responsible to pet him. And I mean, it's pet me, pet me, pet me, Arr! pet me, pet. And if you decide you're not going to pet Tucker, he takes his nose and digs into you until you pet Tucker. Expectations. And, and, I don't think it's a bad thing to have a heart to respond to expectations. In fact, Jesus taught and teaches us that we should be willing to serve. Like that's part of it. We should be doing that. But I want to make a, a quick a hard shift here toward where we're heading today. One of the great, huge benefits of being a follower of Jesus is that he clarifies in the midst of all those expectations, the primary 
focus of our service and attention should be on Him. Does that make sense? And I'm so glad for that. Because how many of you know you cannot make everyone happy? Amen? There's no way you can do it. So it's really helpful to have at least one person you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to please God. By the way, uh, too much emphasis on uh, serving the expectations of people around us can be a stumbling block to us spiritually. If you go to uh, comparing two different kings in the Old Testament, one whose name's uh, Saul, King Saul, and he was kind of a failure because he focused too much on the expectations of other people. Here was his downturn, was in 1 Samuel 15, 24, and he says, I have sinned, I violated the Lord's command, wah, wah, bad idea. And he says, I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. That was the downturn of his life, his leadership. If you compare that to King David, on who we're here to serve. I want to go back just a minute. Can I give you the definition of lordship? Because we're going to be talking about lordship. And it'll come up on the screen if we can go back. Lordship is the person exercising absolute ownership rights. And when Jesus was talking about us and about followers in, Ma in John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they'll follow me. So hold those thoughts. We are kicking off this weekend a series called Audience of One. And the idea is, in the midst of all the expectations, how do we make sure our primary audience for our performance is God? Now, a side note, I think that most of us listening really want to do this. It's, even right now, we've been talking for a few minutes. Most of us, when we think, okay, who do I ultimately want to make sure I'm pleasing? Most of us, I think, think, I, I want to please God. I still remember even before I became a Christian, if I was thinking fairly correctly, if somebody would said, what's the best way to live your life? I would have at least thought, boy, you want to make sure you're pleasing God. Even before I was following Jesus, I just kind of knew that. I think the hard thing is actually doing it. So I'm assuming, assumption, I'm assuming most of us watching, whether it's here, online, chapel, grape, most of us right now are like, yeah, I'd like to do this. We just need some help. And so that's the goal for the series is to bring some help. Uh, and today we're going to look at the verse that inspired the series. It is, I was doing some Bible time, and when I read this verse, I thought we should do a series. And I actually thought right then, we should call it an audience of one. And it's in John 6, 38, where Jesus said, by the way, Jesus did this perfectly. He said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I'll just repeat it. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And I have two ideas from this pretty simple verse 
that will help us as we pursue living a life that mostly is about an audience of one being God. So I'm going to give you these two things, but before I do, would you stand with me? We're going to pray. If you could stand in the chapel or online. When we start series, a lot of times we pause, we stand, we pray about not just today, but about the whole series. Some of you are like, did, some of you just woke up. You're like, what? Are we, yeah, stand up. This church is over. You can go home. You missed the whole sermon. No. Let's pray. God, we pray not just about today, but for every weekend where we will be engaging with the scripture and your word and, and oftentimes each other. Pray that uh, you would shape us, mold us, move us toward greater uh, discipline in focusing on you. I also pray not just for the weekends, but every conversation, every small group that might gather uh, regarding this topic over the next six weeks. Sex week, six weeks, sex weeks, that's a bad prayer. Six weeks. <laughs> and God, basically, we're just kind of joining together and say, help us. Because really, in our good moments, we want to serve you the most. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sorry I mentioned sex in the prayer. Every once in a while, those things happen. <laughs> So let's consider an audience of one. The first thing I want to talk about from this verse is an audience of one is about less of me. Less of me. This is the first half of the verse where Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will. Now, I've got some good news. This phrase in the original language not to do my will, is not a really harsh, like, you never get to do anything you like. It's not a giant, pushy, challenging, painful self-sacrifice. It's mostly us preferring. It's us stepping aside so that we can prefer the lordship of Christ. I thought of it this way, you can write this down. Lordship is letting Jesus be center stage. I thought of the image of audience of one. Um, if, if you're here on site, or, uh, or if you want to put the image of the series, it would be like if you're in the middle of the stage, or you were performing, and it would be if the bright light is on you, you're just super willing to say, Jesus, what do you want to do? And you step aside for anything that he would prefer. And what I want to do now is look at a couple of examples in Scripture that I think uh, exemplify this idea of us. It's less, of, less about us and more about him. The first one is about John the Baptist. Have you heard of John the Baptist? If you've been around the church or study your Bible very long, you'll read about John the Baptist. Um, he was uh, a forerunner of Jesus. So just before Jesus came, John the Baptist came, and they actually overlapped for a little while. And John the Baptist's job description was, guess what? The baptized people. And he was a big deal baptism guy. In Mark chapter 1, 
it says the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. So he was the king of the baptism circuit. Got it? Well, at some point, if you go from there to John 3, Jesus had this season where he went out. Well, we'll just read it. Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside. Side note, wait a minute. That's John the Baptist's turf. That's where he was, where Jesus spent some time with them and baptized. Now, it would be easy because they were there at the same time. You'd think, well, it would be easy for John the Baptist to go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm the baptism guy. What are you doing in my space? And actually, John, John's disciples, he had followers as well, actually kind of prodded or questioned John the Baptist with this verse in uh, John 3:26, And they say, Rabbi, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. Wah, wah. Whoa, 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 what's going on? You know, I, they're like, what about our job security? Are we going to have a job tomorrow? Because everybody, there's this shift, and now people are going to Jesus. And I, I bring this up to point out this, I love this about John the Baptist. Here was his response. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. He goes on to say, I am not the Messiah. And he finishes it with, he, that's Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. Ta-da! That is the essence of lordship. He must become greater, I must become less. Let's look at another example. A New Testament example. There's a, a, a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Anybody heard of Paul? Okay, have you heard of, if you, if you read the Bible, study very long, you'll hear about Paul. And there's a part of his life, he had what is commonly described as a thorn in the flesh. Okay? So let's explore that. This was some kind of a demonic irritant or irritation. It was a physical ailment that would not leave. A lot of theologians are convinced it may have had something to do with his eyes. Because if you read, he, Paul wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament. And a couple times he'll mention, like, I had to write this with really big letters because he apparently couldn't see well. There's another, there's just a couple of these references that indicate he had some eye trouble. When Paul was converted and became a Christian, he was confronted with a bright light from heaven. He was blind for three days. And when God restored his sight, it says of Paul that something like scales fell from his eyes. And so now we don't know exactly what the thorn of, in the flesh was. But it, but some theologians theorize that his eyes would have been maybe unsightly because of the scale thing, or we, we don't, okay, that kind of a thing. But it was, a, it, was, it was not, it wasn't a little thing. Here's his description, Paul's description. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to torment me. That's worse than a hangnail, my friends. Right? This is a bad thing. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he, that's God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And this is the inspiring observation from my point of view. After that interaction with God, Paul never asked God to take it away again. Never begged him again. There's no record. There's record of him indicating he had that. The issue was still there. But can I put it more harshly? He never whined about it again. And I think it's because Paul knew I'm not the most important thing in this gig. Okay, Lord, if we're not going to fix this, okay, I will just keep on because your center stage, the kingdom is center stage, your will is more important than my challenge. Now, just a note for those of us filled with compassion, think, oh man, poor Paul. No, not poor Paul. Paul led an amazing life. Paul was an apostle of God. Paul led thousands and thousands of people to Jesus. Paul wrote arguably most of the New Testament. Paul had a phenomenal life. But he only did that. Oh, let me, let me shift here for a minute. Have you ever met anyone who got stuck in their life because they couldn't get over the one thing that wasn't working? Is that right? Is that not really common? It's really a challenge? I just, this reality inspires me because Paul took, okay, by the way, in the midst of that conversation with God, God said to Paul, my power, I think it's in that conversation, my power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, Paul, your thing there, I'm going to use that, and I'm not going to heal it. I'm not going to change it. Isn't it cool that he only prayed three times? Nobody, this does not affect anybody except for me. I'm like, how cool, how inspiring is that? Here's a theory. You can write this in. Less of us brings more traction for life because we don't get stuck on the thing that's not going to get fixed. Paul knew Jesus was center stage, and it wasn't all about him. I'm going to put a quote on the screen. I heard a guy say this once. It may not be perfect, uh, uh, I don't know if it's exactly what he said, but it was basically this. Self-pity could be the most destructive spirit alive. Because it just stops our progress. So to bring this idea of less of us in the room, here's a question for you to consider. Is it time for a final prayer in some area of your life? Like it, And I'm not saying you don't, 
pray another time, but are there some things in life, it's time to say, all right, I'm going to pray about it one more time, and then I'm done. And then God's grace is sufficient, and if he heals me, he heals me. Or if he fixes that, he fixes that. But if not, it's, I'm, yeah, I'm just done, and I'm going to move on with whatever God has for me, even if I'm limping along the way. Good preaching, Mark. Thanks, thanks. I thought so too. <laughs> that was helpful for me. Um, I want to give you a resource. We'll, we'll post this at the vineyard.info. Uh, it's uh, from a guy we've had speak at the church a few times. His name's Tom Harmon. He spoke at Chasing God. He has put together a list of uh, biblical references to rights or things we deserve that we should relinquish biblically. And uh, we'll put some of them. He's found 32 rights. It's the the page talks about yielding our rights. And here's some of the things and the references. We, he, he did this, I don't know if he's still doing it, but for a long season, he walked through every one of these rights every day and he would yield them to God. And it was this, he would give up the right to be appreciated. He would give up the right to be right. He would give up the right to be heard. And then there's all these references for where he gets that. The right to nurse my hurts, the right to privacy, the right to leisure time, the right to defend myself, the right to be needed, the right, it was, it's really, I would encourage you, take some time, go there, go to the vineyard.info, check it out, a lot of challenging thoughts. So an audience of one is about less of me. Let's hit one more thing. An audience of one is about a singular focus, a singular focus. I'll begin this point with a question. Who's your favorite opera singer? <laughs> hey, don't everybody shout at the same time. <laughs> I bring it up because if you, if, you, if you Google most famous opera singer, this Luciano Pavarotti comes up, I think, first. And he's, he recently passed away. But any of you heard of Pavarotti? Yeah, okay. Here was the unique thing about Pavarotti. Uh, by the way, and I remember growing up, and I knew of this guy, and I know nothing about opera. But, the, but what was really unique was arguably he was the first person ever to be famous in the, whole, in the world regarding opera, because a lot of us aren't really all into opera. Okay, so he like crossed over all this, and everybody knew about him. And oh, I still remember pretending to sing goofy opera songs, and I would think I'm like Pavarotti. Anyway, but I heard the other day a little bit of his story, and I want to share that with you. He shares when I was a boy, my father, a baker, introduced me to the wonders of song. He urged me to work very hard to develop my voice. A professional tenor in my hometown of Modena, Italy, took me as a pupil. I also enrolled in a teacher's college. So apparently he kind of tried to do the double major so he could at least get a job. 
On graduating, this will come up on the screen. On graduating, I asked my father, shall I be a teacher or a singer? Luciano, my father replied, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. And the story goes on. He says, I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now, I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. He finishes with choose one chair. And in our Bible verse, Jesus is basically saying, I'm choosing the Father's will. Right? I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And I want to say that this series is basically about helping us do that. One chair, one focus. And I'm going to finish up the talk with just three hints or words of advice as we head that direction. These are fill in the blanks if you want to write them down. The first one is this, start now. Don't wait. I want to especially encourage some of the younger people. You're 15, you're 18, 23, 27. I have yet to hear someone who gets serious about Jesus at 35 or 45 or 65. I have never heard someone say, I'm so glad I waited this long. It's just not what they say. So, oh, by the way, a lot of the people that changed the world in the Bible, God got them started when they were like teenagers. Some of them, they were elementary school. Some of them were older, so there's hope for some of us. But like a lot of it is, man, get started now. All right, so get started now. The second thing, don't worry. And I'm saying this to those of us who say, well, if I make Jesus center stage, if I make him the Lord of my life and just try to please him, who's going to take care of me? What about me? Who's going to take care of me? And I'm going to answer the question, God will take care of you. Here's a promise. Philippians 4.19 says, my God will meet all your needs. He's talking to followers of Jesus. God will meet your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Start now, don't worry. And the third idea is recommit regularly. So if you fall, or when you fall, or when you start to get self-centered again, or put yourself, or, or over-pleasing all the people that have the expectations, and you're not doing according to God, stop, reboot, start again. It's part of the deal. To recap, an audience of one is about less of me and a singular focus. Why don't you stand? And we will move into a time of prayer. And if you're in the chapel or 
online. Don't disconnect quite yet because there's going to be an opportunity in this uh, time of prayer. Going to do a big group prayer regarding that idea of there's a challenge in your life and maybe it's time to pray that this is be the last prayer and you're going to move past it whether God fixes it or not. And so in every service we've had a number of people that have raised their hand during the prayer just to say, all right, one last time, but I'm not going to get stuck in this. And so if that's you, uh, raise your hand while we're praying this last prayer. And uh, so let's pray. So Father, for some of us, there's an area of our life that it would be really easy for us to get stuck on because it hurts. It, it's the thorn. It's, it's our thorn in the flesh. And uh, so we do say, I do ask, Lord, one more time, heal, help, make it right. But at the same time, we say, not our will, but your will be done, and we will serve you. And I pray for everybody in the room or everyone who has been kind of slipping and sliding and not moving forward, maybe because of a stuckness, because of a difficulty or challenge. God, will you give us traction that even with a thorn in the flesh, we can have a phenomenal life with you and a, and a productive spiritual life that changes our part of the world. And I thank you, God, that you're a, a good, loving Lord to serve. That when we sign up to make you Lord of our life, your promise is to be aware of our needs and care for us. We hope this time has been pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.